ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present the Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of the Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Branham. It's Joe George on a Wednesday. He makes faces on Wednesday. It's a uh, Wednesday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Busy show. Uh, plenty to get to when it comes to the Texans taking on the Colts on Saturday night. Mm, the Astros, they need to wake up, stuff like that. Curious why you have a bag of chips. Could have asked you off the air, but I wanted to save it on the air. Why do you have a bag of chips? It's I have very a, unlike you. I have a bag of chips that was gifted to me, uh. Jeremy, by Todd, because we have a new sponsor uh, that is going to be providing us with ranch dip and French onion dip. I love dips. Yep. And uh, it is going to be a treat for all. And so Todd said that we can sample it. So Daisy, mm. Daisy Dips are going to be a part of uh, the show for uh, the next little while. So they sent a whole bunch of dips. You're welcome. I told you there's some for you out front. But, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's why you have it. I was curious because like, it's unlike Blinkers. Blinkers eats well. He never has chips. Why does he have a, bowl, a full bag of chips? So that's good. I love dips. I love dips. You love ranch. I love I love food, yeah. but I love uh, I love all dips. I do love ranch. I like French onion though. I think I prefer ra- a French onion dip over ranch dip. Now, Joe, Actually, I don't know about you. In the Midwest, we grew up on French onion dip. Yeah, for, French onion's the way to go. Yeah, my mom used to make it from scratch with the onion soup mix and the sour cream and all that. Mm. And man, every big game, Super Bowls, all that, there was always the big French onion dip. Yeah, very good. Uh, the Texans are playing the biggest game. Of their franchise Ooh. since 2019. Okay. Since 2019. Since they played the Chiefs at Arrowhead. This is the biggest game since then. There hasn't oh, yeah. been a game since then that's been anywhere close uh, to the magnitude of what this one's going to be. Was the the first Titan game in Nashville? No. no. Was that the biggest game before this one? Uh, probably. Maybe. No, I mean, because they, they was, was, we started probably. to get into must wins. I mean, you could have. I mean, you could have lost that game and still made it. Yeah, last but, week was the biggest game. And then I was going to say because then from there the second Tennessee game becomes yeah because uh, you because you've positioned yourselves to where you're you're like fighting for postseason right. opportunity. Like you could have lost the Titans game and won the Cleveland game, um, but this past Titans game was the biggest. But now this is the mm-hmm. biggest. And I saw this picture on Twitter uh, circul- circulating. Actually, I think Keith might have actually tagged me on it. Our friend Keith. And it shows the Houston Texans leading at Arrowhead Stadium with 10 minutes left to play in the first half, 24 nothing. We know that's how it went in 2019. If they win that game, they host an AFC Championship game. So they're up 24 nothing with 10 minutes left to play against the Chiefs, 2019, Arrowhead. We know the story. Chiefs would come back and win. And I started to want, because that was a team that made the playoffs. Like, that was a team that's in the division round. That's a team that's up 24 nothing on the road. And I was wondering to myself, which Texans team do or did you have more confidence in? The 2019 Texans are these Houston Texans. Those 2019 Texans made the playoffs. They were in the divisional round. This Texans team hasn't made the playoffs yet. But going into the biggest game since that day, which of these two teams do you have the most confidence in? The 19 Texans or the 23 Texans? See, now, that's kind of... I don't know if I need parameters or... I don't want to say it's a loaded question. Because to me, I had confidence that that was a good football team that had no business winning in Kansas City. 
And then when they got up that big, I was like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? And then, obviously, the, the end was, was ridiculously painful. This team here, I get, I build more confidence every single week in, and I don't think I'm even close to maximizing how much confidence I can have in them because it's just the start scratching the surface of what's going to be hopefully a long run for this team. But I think in terms of confidence week in, week out, I had more confidence in that team back then because they had so many talented players. Yeah. But just seeing the development, what could be a, a ton of talented players on this team, I don't think I'm there yet. But I actually have more and more confidence every week in this team. I love watching this team play now. I, I think I have more confidence in this team. Why? For a variety of reasons. Like that the 2019 team only won one more game. Like they were ten and six. Texans are nine and seven now. Now they have the extra game nowadays. So can you meet ten wins? Maybe you don't. But if you were to end their season after sixteen games, then the, the nineteen Texans have one more win than the 23 Texans. 19 Texans won the division, but I don't think the division was nearly as good then as it is now. Like You you have three teams that are battling for the postseason going into the final week. I never trusted Bill O'Brien. Like Even when you're up 24 nothing with 10 minutes left to play in the second quarter, I never trusted Bill O'Brien as, a, like as, a, as the manager of a, an important game. I think he was okay at times calling plays, but in terms of managing important situations, I never trusted Bill O'Brien. When they were up 24 nothing at Arrowhead, I never thought they were going to win the game. Really? I never thought they were going to win the game. I was like, you know what? In the NFL, this isn't like college football. You're up 24 points, and I granted you were still in the first half. But if you're up 24 points in an NFL game, especially in a playoff game when you're supposed to be, you know, a really solid, capable team, I thought, man, that's just that's just too many points. If if this game, if they just keep start running the football, if they do something just to buy some time, they should find a way that to, to win the game without screwing it all up, unless they just completely turn it over. And then, lo and behold, you're right. Then Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien. I always had a problem with Bill O'Brien's vanilla offenses and and just how generic they were offensively and made it a lot tougher to watch. But I didn't feel then like I do now about Bill O'Brien and his incompetency, if that makes sense. Like when he was the head coach, I believed that he was a decent head coach. I believed that with all the talent that they had, that they had the makings of a team that was going to win football games. Yeah, see, I thought he was a buffoon. <laughs> as a coach? I, I thought he was okay as an offensive mind. I thought as a game manager, he was a buffoon. And the general manager stuff, I understand it's not yeah, the conversation we're having or ha- having at all, but I thought he was a buffoon. Uh, I, I've always felt like Bill O'Brien was a buffoon. I, I never trusted Bill O'Brien. I, I really couldn't. I couldn't trust O'Brien even with a 24 nothing lead against the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium with 10 minutes left to play. So, like, the most important reason of why I – you know, have more faith in the 23 Texans than the 19 Texans because of the head coach. Like, I think D'Amico Ryans is a better head coach than Bill O'Brien is. And I know, like, I've been critical of D'Amico Ryans this year. Uh, It's fair. It's warranted. Whenever he makes some decisions that are fair to bring up to critique, we're going to bring them up to critique. But I trust D'Amico far more than I ever trusted uh, Bill O'Brien. Secondly, I think C.J. Stroud's better than Deshaun Watson. I think Stroud's a better quarterback than Deshaun Watson. I have a, I have, I feel better about a big moment. I don't know. Watson had some come from behind moments early in his career with the Texans. Like he was, he was better with when he was with the Texans than anything we've seen with Cleveland. But I trust Stroud more than I trust Deshaun Watson. I trust this defense at least stopping the run better than I trusted the nineteen Texans in stopping the run. And like you know, you, you mentioned the talented players that they had on the on the nineteen Texans. Did they? Like, outside of DeAndre Hopkins, 
They JJ? had Will Fuller. They had Duke Johnson. They had Kenny Stills. You're talking about offensively. They had Carlos Hyde. Like, I don't know if that was like a team that was – like, DeAndre was still very, very good. but I, And Deshaun was very, very good. But other than that, like, that offense was pretty mid. And then you look at them defensively, that's probably where you had more talent on the field. But – were they better coached than what you have now? Like Zach Cunningham led you in tackles. Bernardrick McKinney led you in tackles. And they were good at the time, but they fell off quickly. You had Justin Reed on that team. J.J. Watt got hurt a lot that year. I think he came back to play, he did. but was kind of a shell of himself. Like He was kind of on a snap count, maybe like pass rush came situations. Back. It came back, but I think he was playing on pass rush uh, situations. Yeah, he, he was snap count because, remember, he came back early the week before in the playoffs against Buffalo. Yeah. He still got the big sack against Josh Allen in that game. So he wasn't peak J.J., but he looked good enough the week before that, like, and we all had confidence he could contribute mm-hmm. against Kansas. JJ was on that team. JJ was on that team. I think that the nineteen roster is better. Mm-hmm. The nineteen roster the is top better. End. Was but Clowney on that team? I yeah. would say even the depth, like the depth, like I don't think that the twenty three Texans depth is fantastic. But where I mean, I think that the two most critical positions for any football team are head coach and quarterback. Mm-hmm. And if the twenty three Texans are better than the nineteen Texans in that front, and I think that they are. D'Amico better than O'Brien. Uh, Stroud is a rookie better than Deshaun Watson. Then I have more faith in the twenty three Texans than I do the nineteen Texans. Can I ask you something though on that? Uh, you have more faith in D'Amico as mm-hmm. a first year head coach. I do is that a product of him and his staff? Because I felt like Bill O'Brien and his staff were grossly incompetent in a lot of ways. I thought his staff was incredible. Because a lot of times I thought his staff should have gotten in the way of Bill O'Brien. Like when you talk about game management and things like that that we saw over the course of his career. When the freaking punter has to come in and tell him to throw the red flag or you know count timeouts or do things. I think D'Amico, because early on we might have seen with timeouts and things, where he was still kind of settling in. Sure, shaky. But I think I believe in his staff, too. A lot more than I believed in, like Tim Kelly and Bill O'Brien's staff, and a lot of the guys that he had. I believe in the entire staff that D'Amico has brought with him as well. Well, you're kind of selling my point, then. You're kind of helping my case there. I'm, I mean, look, I, I, in terms of like ha- having more confidence in th- in this year's team, yeah, yeah. Like you just said, that you feel like the coaching staff's better than the 19 coaching staff. So, like, you're kind of selling my side but of the I'm, argument but now. I'm, see, well, it, it's not that an argument. I'm just I'm trying to like decipher. Like which the best? I still thought I had. I still feel like I had more confidence back then in that team because of the fact yeah. that there was a lot of talent. Now, in terms of the quarterback position, I think there's, there's no doubt CJ's a better quarterback. I think Deshaun was a be- is a better athlete, and, and I think that that's why a lot of people were sold on Deshaun being the franchise quarterback because as much as he took heat and he should have for how long he extended plays, his running ability, his ability to extend plays, his arm, things like that, he people saw that and went. Wow, that dude is special. He's it. But when you see what it really can be in terms of touch and accuracy and what CJ brings, it's a different level. So it's athleticism versus like true quarterback. Yeah, I think Stroud's just more consistent with his oh, play. Absolutely. Whereas Deshaun, Deshaun probably did have some better highlight real plays than than CJ Stroud. I don't want to diminish Deshaun because I thought Deshaun was a really good quarterback in 2019. Mm-hmm. Like he was a top ten quarterback in 2019. I think he's digressed to like your point. Like sitting out for a year probably was the worst thing that could ever happen to him. Getting paid. Like some guys get paid and it's like okay, they're they're different players. Um, for me. I would take C.J. Stroud as a rookie over 2019 Deshaun Watson. Let me ask you this. If this Houston Texans team, 2023 Texans, and D'Amico Ryans is the head coach, and they're up 24 nothing with 10 minutes left to play in the second quarter, you think they lose that game? No, nope. I don't. I don't think so either. I don't. 
And like, it's also like kind of why I'm confused a little bit on the like rewinding back to 2019. Like, I'm I'm kind of surprised that you were confident in that team. Period. Because like, I never trusted Bill O'Brien ever. Ever. I thought that Bill O'Brien was always going to let but, you down in big moments. But every time. And I understand. And he did. But my thing was that I thought talent, in, in especially in the successful years of Bill O'Brien, talent superseded Bill, whatever Bill O'Brien tried to uncoach them or coach them the wrong way or lack of coaching. I felt like they had enough talent across the board that erased a lot of the miscues of Bill O'Brien. Like when Deshaun, whatever play was called, Deshaun would extend the play or he'd make a heroic play. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it didn't matter what Bill O'Brien called from the snap. It was exact, it was the outcome and how they got yards and how, you know, D Hop would go up and take balls away from defenders and, and make plays out of nothing. And, and the defense had some really good players that were able to be disruptive. But I don't, I don't, especially in retrospect, you look back and say, I'm one that I'm one that craps on Bill O'Brien now, looking back, because there, he was so bad across the board at you, everything you, that he did. You didn't crap on him during the like I while did. he was there. I did, but I crapped on him more because you and I've had discussions about like because he's won division titles and things like that. Yeah, but overall, and he has a winning record. But overall, now looking back on it, because of how generic the offense was, because of how limited he 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 kept it, uh, he limited his team in a lot of ways. I look back at it and say. Did we miss it because just as bad, he was awful as a general manager, but was he just as bad as a coach? He just had players that were good enough to overcome it. See, I just think they were very mediocre in a bad division, like because they never won like huge, significant games. You thought that this could have been the moment, and, and they didn't. And I I agree with you. Like I do think that they had a good roster. I think he kind of underachieved with the roster that he had. Um, and on top of that. Bill O'Brien's resume is better than his prowess as a coach, as an NFL head coach. NFL head coach, you look at his resume just as a head coach. There's winning seasons. There's division titles. But the resume doesn't stack up with the prowess. That's why why everybody, well, his resume is way better. So what? Like, I don't care what a resume looks like. I want prowess. I want skill. I want talent. Uh, Like, that's the problem that we have, like, is us, like, talk show host, uh, fans and sports. Well, this guy's better because he has a better resume. When does the better resume equal the better man for the job? Almost never. 713-780-ESPN. Which Texans team do did you have more confidence in? This is the biggest Houston Texans game coming up on Saturday. I can't wait. Uh, biggest Houston Texans game coming up on Saturday as they take on the Colts. A uh, play and you're in. A win and in. A do or die game at Indy. Which team do did you have more confidence in? The 23 Texans or the 2019 uh, Texans? Busy Wednesday show. Joe makes faces. We'll talk a lot about Texans Colts. Get to some Astros and Rockets talk uh, as well. 713-780-ESPN HRMP listener line. We're on the Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joe on Twitter. He's at Joe George Radio on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Branham. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Razor Blunt Commentary. Delivered with a special purpose. What's happening to my special purpose? It's the Killer Bees. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. He's blank. I'm Branham. Biggest game for the Houston Texans since 2019 when they blew a 24-point lead at Arrowhead. The game's on Saturday night. Half of me likes that it's on Saturday night. Half of me hates that it's on Saturday night. Uh, I love that it's going to get here sooner because it's the most excited. I'm more excited about this game than I think it was the Chiefs game because I thought the Chiefs game was going to go so badly. I thought they were going to get crushed. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I was like, they've gone as far as they can go. We'll see if they can do it in the offseason, get ready to take the next step up. And instead, they took six steps back and started with trading D-Hop. But yeah, I'm excited about this game tonight. 
I mean, Saturday night, I'm excited about the national TV audience getting to see what we've seen all year. Uh, I don't care about that. I, I like I like it because of the fact that, you know, I, I care more about those kind of things than you do and the fact that the national media for all the years, of last couple of years, of just everything negative, negative, negative. It's nice to see the Texans with a chance to get in the playoffs with a whole bunch of positivity on the national stage. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get it. I just don't think it really does much for a team, you know. I, I think it means a lot in college. I don't think it really means much in the NFL. Like, every single one of their games is on a, a national television game. Now, some of them aren't in the spotlight. Some of them are. What are they gaining out of it? Blah, 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 blah. The reason that I don't love that it's a Saturday night game is that the Texans have lots of injuries, injuries and it's a day sooner. And maybe it doesn't matter at all. Maybe all these people that are, are on the, you know, did not practice list, maybe they all come back. Like they, the Texans 20 minutes ago put out their list. Uh, guys that did not practice today, Will Anderson, Andrew Beck, which is kind of a big loss because they use the running game. Yep. They use fullback a lot. And I know that we like some things that uh, Brevin Jordan did at fullback. He didn't block well at fullback. Noah Brown did not practice. Malik Collins did not practice. John Gernard did not practice. Sheldon Rankins did not practice. Robert Woods did not practice. And Laramie Tunsil was limited. So, like, I wish all of those guys would have an extra uh, extra day. And I know that you're playing at prime time at night versus the next game would have been at noon. But still, yeah, I'd rather have those 16 hours or whatever it is. I feel good that Anderson's going to play because we saw him play in Week mm-hmm. 17. And he did, like, he did the podium thing. Like, it didn't seem like he re-aggravated anything. I have no idea on Andrew Beck. We didn't see him. Noah Brown doesn't feel good. Like, he played in this past game and then was gone, and we didn't hear from him again. Malik Collins, who knows? John Grenard, I'm super nervous about. He didn't play in Week 17, has not practiced since. That's not great. Sheldon Rankins, who knows? Robert Woods, I feel pretty good that he might play. Laramie Tunsil, the fact that he was limited means that he's going pretty good. And I went back and looked at those injuries. It looked, it looked kind of minor, tweaky, like he played through it a couple times. So, it's, see, I feel good that he's going to play. But everybody else, who knows? Who knows? So, I wish the game was uh, an extra, extra day later. And the other, I think the other thing to add to that, Jeremy, is the fact that the Colts don't have as many injuries to significant players as you do. And so, obviously, at this time of the year, it's impossible to level the playing field and say, hey, both teams are going to come in 100% healthy and let's go at it. But it just seems like the Texans have an excess of injuries uh, and very important injuries uh, on their list and a longer list than Indianapolis. And so, yeah, you'd like the extra day. Seven one three seven eight zero ESP and one seven nine zero. Talking about resumes, isn't that why you wanted Florida State in the first place? College football playoff. It's a good rebuttal. It's a good counterpoint. But I believe that's what the regular season's for, right? Like the regular season's for building a resume and then having the best resumes that make the college football playoff. It's not a good system. Like college football playoff system sucks. Mm-hmm. That's why the NFL system's better. Like you have real qualifiers and you have records and you have tiebreakers and you have all these things. That's why a 12 team playoff is better. Uh, it's a good counterpoint there, 1790. I respect that. Uh, a few people, which Texans team do, did you have more confidence in? 23 Texans, 19 Texans. Uh, Travis on the Twitter. Uh, shouldn't be even a question. Cap, better than OB. Stroud, better than Deshaun Watson. Stroud and Cap would have never lost a 24-point lead just to end up getting blown out on top of that. Uh, VT, 2020 by far. Rob, 2023 without a doubt. I think there's probably some you know, prisoner of the moment. There's probably some revisionist history as well because you know the outcome of the 2019 season. Uh, you don't know the outcome of the 2023 season. Where do you stand on this, Joe George? It's hard, too, I think, because it's impossible to remove from the end of that moment through to when Bill O'Brien got fired, everything that happened. Because, like, I, I know we all we were down 9-7, and seven, Brian. Like, we're all tired of that stuff from Bill O'Brien at the time. But... Bill O'Brien, like, it, it was – the trajectory of him plummeted 
like a meteor as soon as that game ended. Well, or as soon as they got up 24 yeah, nothing, Got fired me, the next year. Honestly, for me, uh, my answer is 2019. Because I feel the same way I feel about Stroud right now as I did about Watson then. Like, I always thought Watson was going to be a great quarterback. See, I, I didn't feel as good about Watson as yeah, Stroud. Like, and I did. Like, I, I thought Watson See, still was going to be a superstar quarterback. I did too, at and that then, time. And you have Hop, who you have D Hop, who's a top three wide receiver in the NFL. Like that, through those two pieces alone, made me feel like the Texans can be anybody on any week. But with O'Brien, I know, I know. Yeah, but Jeremy, like, you said superstars. you didn't feel confident going in. My feeling, as much as I was like shocked when they were up twenty four nothing, my feeling at the end of that game was they're going to load up in the off season to try and keep this thing going, and this might be the next big step that they take. And lo and behold, to Joe's point, instead it was like Bill O'Brien decided to take a butcher knife to the whole thing and just started trading hop and shedding good players. Yeah, but that's not the 19 Texans. That's not the 19. We're talking about 19 Texans, 23 Texans, who you have more confidence in. We're not talking about 20 Texans where O'Brien no, but got saying, fired. I had confidence in that team because I felt like they were going to keep going. Like, even after they lost to Kansas City, but even going into that game, I was like, you know what? They're on the cusp because of Deshaun, because of the fact that they still have more players, that they're going to keep ascending. And, and and no one could have expected, looking back on it, that that would have been the beginning of the end. See, my difference with because I thought Watson was, you know, star as well. I thought he was going to be a superstar, had a chance to be like an MVP type, stuff like that. Where I was at with Watson, though, was like, I thought he was on the brink of being like a top five, top seven quarterback. Or Stroud, I'm at, I think he can be a top three quarterback as soon as next season. So I thought Stroud was like on another, I, I think that Stroud is at another level than even Watson early on. Like, I do think that there was a difference. Because we've heard people talk about this. And Watson was loved in this city before he became a pervert and demanded a trade and all of these things. Kind of like, you know, cryptically demanding a trade. But I still think that there was a level where Stroud is hit that Watson hadn't yet. Now, Watson had the highlight stuff, but Watson also had floors that were tremendous. Uh, took tons of sacks. And I know Stroud has, has taken a good amount of sacks over the last five games that he's played in, but also think that was an issue with the offensive line. Like, look what O'Brien did in the 2019 season, trading a King's ransom for Laramie Tunsil to try to keep Deshaun Watson up route because he took, you know, he held on to the football forever. I also thought that the, the 19 Texans played a lousy game against Buffalo in that wild card game. Like, they should have lost that game. Deshaun Watson was terrible for three quarters, and if he didn't wake up in the fourth, they would have been embarrassed in the wild card round at home against, what, a second year Josh Allen? So, like, that, that's a caveat there, too, I think. Uh, 0367 says 2019 because playoff experience. Okay, that, that is true. Uh, the Texans had made the playoffs four of those five years, 2019 being the final of those four years in that five-year span. Uh, ben on Twitter, 2023, says 19 Texans were good personnel-wise, but I was never sold on O'Brien. I'd be more confident if the Texans failed to make the playoffs. The vibe and energy of 2023 Texans alone is what makes me more confident for the future of the team. I think it kind of goes to what you were saying about the offseason there. Because you traded Hopkins that offseason. Yep, sure did. Uh, you made a couple of other moves, like you brought in Brandon Cooks. Bill O'Brien was so bad that he got fired four games into the season. Isn't that crazy? Like you're up twenty four yeah. to nothing in the divisional round at Arrowhead, and then Bill O'Brien gets fired four games into the next season. Yeah, as painful <laughs> as that loss was, there was so much anticipation and so much like pent up energy and excitement to say, Hey, this might be where we start really progressing to take that level to where we've never been before. Next year we should have our sights on AFC championship games and possibly the Super Bowl. We can keep building on this. And the questions after the game I remember were what are they going to do? Who can they get to bring in to kind of add to this team? And instead they were just going to subtract. They weren't going to add at all. 
Yeah, I mean, the build was going to be was supposed to be fun because you're building around Deshaun. I didn't hate the idea of trading DeAndre Hopkins for what it's worth. I, the return was just brutal. Yeah, you got to get at least a one in that. There team. was two teams that traded top tier receivers that offseason. One was the Texans, who got James Conner, or not James Conner, uh, David Johnson, who yep. had negative trade value, by the way. Had mm-hmm. negative trade value. Bill O'Brien didn't think so. And a second round pick. Yep. Where the Minnesota Vikings had Stephon Diggs, they mm-hmm. traded for a first rounder that they used for Justin, Justin Jefferson. Jefferson. So the sure idea did. of trading the receiver isn't terrible because no, I can understand not wanting to pay him. I have no you have a quarterback that. that can spread yeah. it around. Like I didn't hate the idea of trading Hopkins. The problem was the return. I hated it because of the fact that at that point he was arguably the best receiver in the game. And so if you're developing Deshaun Watson, I mean the best thing you can give him is one of the the top receivers, if not the best receiver in the game, and keep developing around that. And the minute that you trade him, even if you are trading it with a savvy general manager to get young talent, it would be hard-pressed to get everybody to get behind it and say, oh, right away they're going to turn the corner, they're not going to miss a beat, they're going to keep going. But if you had D-Hop and added someone on the other side or did something like that, now you're thinking, okay, now they can be even better next year with another year of Deshaun Watson you know, getting getting better and D-Hop being at the top of his game. So I hated when they traded uh, Hopkins. Maiden says, 23 Texans, any prior Texans team. They went a quarter century, couldn't even get a sniff. Stroud showed up and completely turned the franchise around, even more so than Watt when Watson arrived. Watson did it too. No, Watson did it too, but maybe Stroud has done it more. Uh, they, 2023 Texans, also have a much superior coaching staff with Ryans, uh, apparently. I agree with that. This is I a agree. better argu- uh, backup for your argument too, but I, I, I want to throw it out there just to see what you guys think. If you if you interchange quarterbacks, if you put Stroud on that team against Kansas City, it's mm, a good question. Does it make a difference? And if Deshaun, like uh, on the flip side, if Deshaun was on that team, th- was on the, the team this year, is the team as good? Uh, I'm going with Stroud. I'm going to go with whatever team Stroud's on. Okay. Yeah, and that that you know puts me in a, in a quandary here because it means he's still coached by O'Brien, right? But I, I I'm a believer in Stroud. I, I lean Stroud too. Honestly, because I just don't think he, I think he continues to find a way to have success against Kansas City in that game and not get completely shut down. Well, but again, then to Jeremy's argument there, you're still going to get a coach that's going to try and fake punt it and and, and try some stupid stuff that no matter what you were doing to control the ball and control the (laughs) clock could have put you in a, in a huge quandary. So that that has to be factored in, because I lean with you guys. I think Stroud is, but I, I also think that revisionist history is, is fascinating because people forget how on board they were with Deshaun Watson as a sure. superstar in this league that I, they believed was going to take them to places they've never been. That's 100% true. But I don't think that that is at, like, parallel with how they felt about the 19 Texans. And I think that the biggest hang-up there was Bill O'Brien. I don't think people believed in Bill O'Brien. They didn't look at Bill O'Brien as a coach that they could trust to win a big game at all, even with a good roster, even with a good quarterback that you praise and you like and you think has a chance to win it all. It's different with D'Amico. You look at D'Amico and you think that D'Amico can because of the culture, because of the vibes that they have going on at Kirby. Yeah, I, I look at it and as, I thought that, again, when you look at what that, how, how big of a turning point that was for the organization. But I think a lot of people started to turn the corner on Bill O'Brien when they got when they saw that game, when they saw them being up, if you just stopped the game right there and you polled fans, I think fans would have said Bill O'Brien has finally figured it out. He is he's the guy for us. We're going places. And by the end of the game, they wanted nothing more to do with him because of what a debacle it was and how many stupid decisions he made. But I think that it would have changed because I really think that a lot of this whole fan base was hook, line, and sinkered on Deshaun being the man. 
and he was going to be one of the premier guys sure. in the NFL for years to come. You could draw a, a you could you could say that what Stroud is now, Watson was then. You can absolutely say that. You can absolutely say that. But O'Brien was never what D'Amico is ever. So D'Amico, if D'Amico's coaching that nineteen team, I'm talking about me personally. I, I didn't think that Deshaun Watson was a top three five quarterback ever because I thought he took way too many negative plays, turnovers, sack. I did. I uh, thought he could get to the top five. I, I mean, I've already seen Stroud in his rookie year be a better quarterback than I ever thought Watson was going to be. See, yeah, again, and I'm not comparing the two guys because I think the talents, the skill sets, everything, CJ's better. But I think looking back then to how I looked at Deshaun Watson, there was no doubt in my mind Deshaun Watson was ascending to a top five quarterback in this league. And, and maybe it was more getting bought into all the highlight plays. Uh-huh. But I thought he could change how long he held the ball. I think he could change his internal clock. Because of the fact that he had gotten hurt, too. I thought that that might have helped him, but it didn't. He missed a lot of easy stuff, too. He drove it crazy. 713-780-3776. These type of games are what C.J. Stroud's going to be gauged by. Because, look, we think he's one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. How do you gauge top quarterbacks in the NFL? How they do in the biggest moments. How they do in playoff-type atmospheres. And I don't think C.J. Stroud's shying away from that. 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. All teams covered. No stalking points necessary. You're back with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. He's Blank. I'm Branham. It is the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. CJ Stroud, quarterback, the Texans, not shying away from moments here. We doing this future is now thing? C.J. Stroud, he's going to be graded based on uh, big games, right? He's going to be graded on, look, week 18. He's going to be graded on playoff games. Because look at the other quarterbacks who are very good. Lamar Jackson is going to MVP for the second time of his life. People have doubts about what he does in the playoffs. I have doubts about Josh Allen because of what he does in the playoffs. Joe Burrow, you give him credit because he's made deep playoff runs. Pat Mahomes has won titles. C.J. Stroud's going to be in the conversation with those guys. And, like, C.J. Stroud, tremendous rookie year. But now, and whenever Stroud's in the postseason, is how we're going to grade Stroud relative to his contemporaries of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL, of the top seven quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, and I think that that's the next progression, right, as we get a franchise quarterback to see how good he can be. Because we had the checklist at the start of the year. Can you lead a team from behind in, you know, to victory? Can you lead game-winning drives, You know, two-minute drills? You know, do the kind of things that we were talking about at the start of the year. And now we're talking about, in terms of the progression of him, how how far can he ascend as a quarterback in this league? And a lot will depend on the kind of success he has in these type of games. Playoff games, playoff implication games. Is he going to shy away from it? Is he going to get like a Dak reputation that he always wilts in the big games? Or, you know, Lamar? Or is he going to get a, the reputation of a guy that like Joe Montana or, you know, or Brady? Every big game was an opportunity to be better. Here was uh, C.J. Stroud. This is actually after the game. I think it was after the game Sunday. Might have been his media availability on Tuesday. I don't remember. But here was C.J. Stroud talking about how... This was after the game Sunday. This was him talking about how, look, the future is the future, but we have to be in this moment. The time is now for us. The work has been put in from, from this team, from our coaches, our front office, to our players, to our strength staff, to our... our um, um, training room staff to our, our, our chefs in the kitchen, to the to the red shirts, like all all around, 
work has been put in, and um, it hasn't been easy, you know. So um, I think that's kind of what God wanted, though, is the, the hard wins, the hard grinding days where you maybe not want to be in here, you know, and you just want to go home and chill. But we know uh, the city, it means a little more. And you can see just, like, the vibe. Like, today I think we probably, I don't know how many, many fans we had, but it felt like we that was the most we probably put in the stadium probably in a long time. And to show up today, I think um, that was pretty cool to see. Um, and... I definitely think that we're going to just keep this going. And the time is now. Like It's not next year. It's not the year after that. It's right now. Uh, we have the opportunity to control our own destiny. So I'm excited to do that. I'm guilty of this a lot where I, I look more about, you know, in the future, like more big picture, more forest than small picture, micro, be where your feet are when it, when it comes to sports. And it's easy to whenever you've won 11 games in the last three years and this wasn't a team that had really any expectations to be a postseason team, rookie quarterback, first-year head coach, first-year play caller. Uh, you have some veterans, but it's a nucleus of very young players. Your best players are very, very young that you're building around. But I, and it's very easy if the Texans were to lose on Sunday, eh, you know, whatever. Uh, the future's the future, and the future's very bright. And we would be right. Like, the season's already been a success, in my opinion. But to Shroud's point, like, you can't really take the future for granted. You always have to, like, be in the moment. And look, I think Stroud's thinking, hey, maybe I can be a rookie quarterback who makes a run in the postseason. Maybe I can be a rookie quarterback uh, that can that can find his way into an AFC championship game, and then who knows what happens after that. I, I do think from a player's point of view that it is important to have the blinders on, not look at the future, don't take the future for granted, kind of like the Deshaun Watson point a moment ago. We thought we had 10 years of Deshaun Watson mm-hmm. uh, maybe emerging into an MVP caliber quarterback, maybe bringing a Super Bowl to the Houston Texans, and look how quickly that went away, how quickly that vanished. So I do think it's important from a player's point of view, especially your quarterback, to, to have the mindset, even as a rookie, that C.J. Stroud showed with that answer. Yeah, I think as you were saying that, I, I kind of was formulating a couple of different thoughts on the fact that from a player's perspective, and no matter what sport it is, when you talk to players, you never should lose sight of how important it is to take every every possible advantage and do everything you can to get to the playoffs and do everything you can to focus on the now. From the front office's perspective, you're also supposed to be in charge of looking forward to the future and, and, and formulating a plan for the future and understanding the timetable is you're just getting started on what should be a long period of success for this football team, so you're planning that way. But overall, from a fan base, when you've been and from a team's perspective too, when you've been scratching and clawing the whole season just to find this opportunity and know it's right there in your grasp, it would be very, very difficult for anybody to say at the end of the season it's easy to let go because you know there's going to be more ahead. You never know, and injuries and and salary cap and all the different things and guys leaving can all play a negative impact, have a negative impact on what you think is going to be this long run. So they need to put all their eggs in this basket and go for it as a team. And 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 they know that this is the first of, they feel like this is the first of many, but this is the first of maybe only. Look at Dan Marino. Dan Marino sniffed at his rookie year and then never sniffed it again to where from a Super Bowl perspective you have to be able to capitalize whenever it's in front of you, and this is a massive opportunity. These players, I love the fact that they have that fire in their belly. I think they should all feel like CJ. Plus, I think it's going to help their future, like in a weird way, because like, not that the Texans wouldn't give their best shot, whatever, and they, right. they could very they well will. lose. I mean, they're underdogs Sunday or Saturday night, so they could very well lose that game. It's a coin flip game. But going into the mentality of, 
this is a must win. Like we, this isn't about the, our build. This isn't about the big picture. This isn't about the future of the Houston Texans. This is about this single moment. And even if you lose that game, to me, it helps the future. Like sure. to me, it helps because uh, I do think that for you to like achieve greatness, that you have to take some lumps along the way. Like you can throw out all these corny cliches, like the road to success is always under construction. Uh, it's not about you know how. What is the old saying about how you fall? It's not about how hard you fall. It's about how you get up. No matter how many times you fall, it's how many times you get up. Yeah, like all these corny sayings. But I do think that when you – and we've looked at the history of this, like the last 10 years of Super Bowl champions, I think it was seven of them, made the playoffs the year before. But being able to taste the agony of defeat kind of helps your future out because, like, I don't want that taste anymore. And if your mindset is, well, we got this great future, I think you get complacent a little bit. Whereas we we want to win it all this year. And even if you take that lump and you lose, even if it's Saturday in Indy, it's like, uh, See, I don't want to taste this anymore. That's where I'm at. Saturday's game, because you and I had this conversation about a month ago, and we didn't know that we were going to be sitting here talking about a game that basically is for all the marbles to get in or not. But at the time, it was, you know, is it is it a, not even a must? I forget how we, we, we phrased it, but it was, how is it more important to make the playoffs, or is it a disappointment if you if you come up short? This game Saturday night essentially becomes like a wild card playoff game because you got to oh, win yeah. to get in. So they're already as a roster and all this young talent going to feel that extra adrenaline rush, going to feel the extra importance of, of how tight that's going to be and, and how big of a game that's going to be in the stage and the whole works. If they fall short, they still have experienced enough because they've tasted that defeat as well. And they know that they don't ever want to do that again. And they want to learn from that to see that they're going to be celebrating the next time and then going further along. No matter what happens Saturday night, this season is a success. It's just going to be so hard for everybody that bleeds red, white, and blue and watches this team week in, week out to let it go and try and look for moral victories if they don't get in because they've come so far and done so much already. 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Is it time for the Astros to wake up? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, right now, before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend, Doc Linville. Doc Linville, best in the business at the Neograph Procedure. You don't know what it is? You need to find out, especially if you are experiencing pattern baldness, thinning, any kind of uh, hair loss, and you think there's nothing you can do to get it back. There actually is, and if you go see my friend, Doc Linville, he and his staff are going to tell you exactly how it can make a difference in your life, like it did mine, like it did Granados, and so many others. you got to check out the Neograph Procedure. It's not sprays and creams and foams that just mask the problem. It's your own hair taken from where genetically you're never going to lose it. Sides in the back of your head. You're always going to have that hair no matter how bald you go in other areas. They're going to take that and they're going to put some of it and repurpose it where you need it most. Maybe your forehead has become an eight head. Maybe you got that baboon's butt showing up on the back of your head. You want to make sure that that goes away. That's what they do. And for you as a listener to ESPN 97.5, you get a free consultation with Doc Linville and his staff right now. Start the new year right. Go see them. Get that free consultation. Go to 975hair.com. No obligation, no money out of pocket, no signing on the dotted line. Just getting all the answers, asking all the questions, and finding out if it's right for you, too. He's got a new special for the new year. He's doing three fifty dollars per graft. That is a substantial savings, and it's going to save you a ton of money while you get your hair back. 
It is phenomenal because he cares. He's even told me multiple times, I don't care. I'm not trying to make money on this deal. I'm trying to help the people of Houston and with something that I know works. I'm trying to get guys to realize they can get their hair back, and it's not as difficult as everybody makes it seem. Check them out today. Go to 975hair.com. Tell them I sent you by. Get that free consultation. You are going to be glad you did because the the Neograft is a game changer, and I'm here to tell you I would recommend it to anyone. Go to 975hair.com. Welcome back, Houston. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. He's Blank, I'm Branham, 713-780-ESPN. I didn't realize the Texans are now favored on Saturday night. I uh, I know it opened at one, one and a half Indy. I didn't realize that it had flipped. That's interesting. Very. In- I wonder the reason why. Why did it flip? They feel good about Will Anderson playing. Do they feel good about John Grenard playing? I don't know. It's probably just because the betters are early on the Texans. Uh, but the te- Texans are now favored by one point. So roughly a coin flip game. Uh, 713-780-3776-2213. I feel like the Bengals were a case of looking at the future when they lost the Super Bowl, and now they're coming to the point of breaking up the talent due to contract money. That's a good point. Like I don't think the Bengals were like lost the Super Bowl because they were thinking about the future. I'm not going to go to that extreme. But it's a good point of like how quickly it can end because like now they're going to be they're probably going to lose T Higgins next year and they got unlucky with injuries obviously to Burrow rookie year this year as well but T Higgins and Jamar Chase probably will never play on the same team again it's true so that's the other aspect of it too is just the contract taking advantage of rookie deals it's why I want the Texans to be super aggressive in the offseason well, a lot of it as much as we talk about football let football be football you need the ownership on board at some point we know the Cincinnati ownership is cheap they're not going to do anything to, to overspend anytime, anywhere. Whereas I think I, I they're going to be at the cap. I understand that, but I, I just think that they're going to try and be below the cap. They're not going to try and overspend or get creative with the salary cap, trying to get more big time players under good. Con- I mean, even if they have to pay big contracts, like a, like a T Higgins, I, I think that the Texans w- would get creative with the cap and do what New Orleans did a couple years ago when they were just millions and millions of dollars over the cap. I don't know if I want them to do that though, but I'm just like, saying if, if it keeps the window open, I mean, I think the window's open as long as you... Well, right now it is, but I'm saying, if you're at that point, right? If you're at the point of saying Cincinnati's had a good run now, and maybe the window, you want the window to stay open, this is kind of like that line in the sand time where either you try to commit to keep going, and either you keep him or you find a solution to find another T. Higgins-like to help chase, or are you going to play cheap? Yeah, I would imagine that they're going to spend around, you know, Burr. I don't think they're going to, like, spend much on facilities, but I think that they're going to spend close to the max of the salary cap. Uh, 713-780-ESPN. Do the Astros need to wake up? CBSSports.com had five contenders in Major League Baseball uh, who need to be more active in the offseason, in the early parts of 2024. Uh, the five teams that they listed, one of them was Joe's team, the lovable losers, completely useless by September. But they had the Blue Jays at five. They had the Mariners at four. They had the Astros at three. They had the completely useless by September's second. And they had uh, the Baltimore Orioles first. And who Baltimore is notorious for being cheap and not spending money. It's an acronym. The Cubs are an acronym to completely useless by September. Because they're useless by September. Um, Do the Astros need to wake up here? What they've done, they've signed a backup catcher, Victor Caratini, which I think he's going to be a good piece. I like what they've done with him. The second biggest move is they they traded for Dylan Coleman. 
this offseason. That's the second biggest move the Astros have made. Did you know who Dylan Coleman was before the Astros traded for Dylan Coleman? 713-780-3776. I didn't. I, didn't I had either. no clue who Dylan Coleman was before the Astros traded for Dylan Coleman. So is it time for the Astros to wake up now that the calendar's turned to 2024? Well, it'd be, I would like it to happen if it's not immediate. I would like to ha- happen soon. It's it's obviously not panic time because there's still a ton of guys on the market. Scott Boris still has his big four on the market that people are uh, you know looking at, but no one signed. There's a lot of names that are still out there. There's relief pitching that could help them that's still unsigned. So until they're signed with someone else, you believe in in my heart of hearts, I'm hoping that Hector Neris finds a, there's a way to find him a spot back on this team and pay him somehow to make sure you don't lose him. Um, if you could add Hicks as well, that'd be phenomenal. But I don't think it's it's panic time yet, but yeah, it's time to get a kick in the ass and say, let's go. Let's let's start being a little bit more active. Let's start being a little bit more aggressive. Let's kick the tires on a few more guys. You know, Start figuring out what it might take to bring in one or more of these guys. But you hope that at the end of the, at the, the, the offseason, when we get into spring training, that there have been some significant, I don't want to say how you judge significant, but a couple of significant additions to make this team better. Because it sucks knowing how good they are and knowing you could do things to make them better and wondering, are they going to be willing to do those things? XX Ron says, we all want Astros to wake up. I'm one of them that they never spin big and they've been so successful. So don't know a trust process or get angry. Now, the Astros really haven't spent big. Now, you can you can bring up the Montero contract. You can bring up the Abreu contract. But I like the Abreu contract. And I was okay bringing back Montero. And I don't mind the AAV. It's the link that kind of stinks. But while the Astros haven't spent big, I do think that they've, brought players in like they've been active in the offseason uh, even in offseasons where they didn't spend big money like you you had an offseason where you signed Hector Neris you had an offseason where you signed Michael Brantley the first time and the second time so the Astros have not you know given that big contract out the biggest one was Jose Abreu but they've been more way more active than than this offseason and the one that they've had I want the Astros to wake up selfishly selfishly and I'm not going to call Jim Crane cheap like some people think that's like a contradiction. I personally don't think it's a contradiction, but selfishly is like a team or as a person that watches the Astros every game that wants the Astros to have deep rides in the postseason that wants the Astros to win the world series. How could you want them to not wake up and not do more? Cause I do think that there are weaknesses on this team. Sure. Do I think that this roster currently constructed is good enough to win a world series? Yeah, but they better stay healthy because there's not a whole lot of depth on this team. Right now, this bench would carry uh, Greg Kessinger and then one of Corey Jolks, John Singleton, and David Hensley. Like, that's not a very good bench. If you have an injury, now Mauricio Dubon's an everyday guy, and then what? And you're also counting on Jake Myers to be an above-average Major League Baseball center fielder, which I have my doubts about. You flip it over to the pitching staff, I don't think that they're going to bring in a starter. I know people say, well, you should they should add a starter because it doesn't look great. I don't think you're adding a starter when you have a Justin Verlander, a Framber Valdez, a Christian Javier. You have Luis Garcia, Lance McCullers, who you hope that you're going to get back, a Hunter Brown, a J.P. France, a Jose Arquiti, and they also like Spencer Aragetti. So they're not going to bring in a starter. But how about that bullpen? Because after Ryan Presley and Abreu, you got tons of questions. you got mm-hmm. Graveman's shoulder. You have Montero coming off a bad year. And then what? You lost three bullpen? guys that were significant for you yeah. a year ago. As much as you don't want to say that Stanek was – in the regular season, he played a big role the last several years. But with Maton and, and how how aggressively Dusty used him the entire first half of the season when he was really successful, and he kind of fell off, 
But then, and then there was the steady of Naris. And, and you can go back and forth and say, you know, one, I'd like to see one of those guys. Those two guys alone, even if you take Stanek out of the equation, were significant for them. You want to believe that there are going to be two relief pitchers and a chance to add a bat somewhere between now and the start of spring training. But it's hard to believe that because all those moves you were talking about in the past were a different general manager. And it was a different, it, it seemed like it was a, maybe a different way of thinking. And we don't know what Dana Brown is going to do, yeah. but we don't know enough about Dana Brown to feel good about it. See, I actually think that it's a common denominator that we know our answer. Because I don't think this has anything to do with Dana Brown. I think if Dana Brown had unlimited resources, he would have signed an outfielder. He would have signed two ma- like major league middle relievers, whether it's Hicks, whether it's Matt Moore, whether they spend big on Josh Hader. The common denominator is Jim Crane doesn't want to spend into the competitive balance tax. Which I can understand. Like, I'm not going to demand that an owner spend above the competitive balance tax. I'm not going to call him cheap for not doing so. But as somebody who watches the Astros that wants them to win a World Series, absolutely I want them to wake up. Do I think it's unlikely that they will? Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. The prediction and what I want are two different things. I think that the Astros are mostly done. I think they'll add another reliever and then call it an offseason. I think they'll add one more arm, call it an offseason. But what do I want? I would love Jorge Soler. I would. Lo- I don't even need Hater, but give me a Jordan Hicks. Bring back a Hector. Give me Naris and Hicks and a bat, yeah. and I'm great. That's so. Yeah, I would love for the Astros to wake up. But Do see, I predict them to? No. Should they to win a World Series? Maybe so. You're right. Maybe because so. I-, I am pessimistic as well, and I think that the signs lead you to believe that Crane absolutely overspent a year ago, and now. Seems like he's going to take the the direct opposite approach. But I don't think he's looking at this when we talk about big picture. He's had so much success. He's had so much fun basking in the success of winning. And not even when you don't win the World Series, but being able to capitalize. Three million fans through the gates. All the different ways that he was able to capitalize and make money. And, and, And a lot of that is tied to the winning. And if he's not willing to spend, is he willing to accept the fact that you're not going to have as much fun? You're not going to win as many games. You're not going to make as much money. And, and, and that's what's so frustrating because the window's only open for so long. But because your team is still so good, you have a chance to extend it for at least this year, but maybe longer than that. If you're just willing to commit a, a little bit, and it doesn't seem like he's willing to budge. It's hard for me to say willing to spend, though, because he's above the competitive balance tax. But, like, look at okay, his payroll. Jeremy, his payroll is going to be top five in baseball. Well, I, and I, you're right. I get that. But when you look at what other teams have done from the Padres over the last couple of years, the Dodgers and the Yankees, and, and, and all the teams that you're, in, you're being compared to, you're competing with, and you're seeing even the way they got creative with the Otani contract with the Dodgers, and then it opened up another avenue to do more. You're looking at it going, hey, look, I know we're not New York and L.A., but you don't have to spend as much as and overspend as much as they do but you can go over it a little bit more and and be possibly better than both teams. I wish they would. I wish they would. But I can't say Crane's cheap. And I'm not saying he's I mean, cheap. I, I haven't said that right either. Now. They're sixth in payroll behind the Mets, the Phillies, the Braves, the Yankees, the Rangers. He's contributed to some of that, too, with some of the bad contracts you mentioned. Yeah, that's, to me, it's more about smart money. Like, I, I don't want them to sign an Otani, quite frankly. I don't want them to sign a 10-year deal. I want them to sign... You know, give me Jorge Soler on a one or two year deal. Uh, give me Jordan Hicks on a one or two year deal. Bring back Hector Neris on a one or two year deal. What if JD Martinez comes on the cheap? Eh, he can't play outfield. He's really not a good outfielder, but he's I, a good I bat. Think, I don't think he's capable of playing outfield anymore. He's a good bat, but that means Jordan Alvarez is your everyday left fielder. So I'm probably out on that. Now, Soler is a terrible defender, but you can get by with a terrible defender at Minute Maid Park, in my opinion. Uh, 713-780-3776. I know we get a good break, but doesn't that mean that JD could play left field? No, J.D. Martinez cannot play outfield. Anymore. Solaire's bad. Solaire's bad too. 
there's a difference between being bad and capable versus not being capable. Like, I don't think J.D. Martinez has played outfield like in two or three years. Oh, I think he has. I don't okay, think so. Okay, we'll see. I think it's like a handful. I think it might be single digits, period. Uh, 713-780-3776. Top five 2024 NFL storylines now that the calendar is turned. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5.